belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message from May 16th, 2021 is called Wow 1999. The speaker is Tim Holland and the location is Vesper Point, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. So from high school through college, I had this like clock radio that I thought was super cool. It had um, two cassettes, uh, two cassette slots, had a single DVD player up top, and it got radio. And so I could wake up um, every morning to um, like Jars of Clay and Newsboys, Michael W. Smith, and then like pre-shout to the Lord Hillsong because I was this really cool early adopter. Um, my kind of, my credit there, my street cred is that my sister-in-law grew up at Hillsong Church before it was a thing. Whoa. So we had all the stuff, um, <laughs> which seems really awesome right now. <laughs> um, so one album I had was the Wow Top Christian Hits of 1999, the green one. Yeah. Um, and. Some of the greatest, it was awesome. And kind of like in life, some of the greatest albums by artists are curated. They tell like this single unifying story. There's an arc, you know, you have to rise, fall, and then kind of rise again. Um, This album was not one of those, (laughs) Um, but they were hits. It featured some of like the top Christian talent, the best Christian talent that uh, Christendom had to offer. So uh, it's like Agnus Dei or Agnes Dei. Um, back then, um, by Third Day, Pray by Rebecca St. James, Testify to Love by Avalon, mm-hmm. Entertaining Angels by Newsboys, yeah. um, The Devil is Bad by the W's, um, that one, that one didn't stand the test of time. Um, one that did stand the test of time, but was sort of misplaced was His Cheeseburger by VeggieTales, oh. also on the album, um. So, but also one of the big hits on WOW 1999 was Jennifer Knapp's Undo Me. Um, It talks about hurting and pushing away the people we love, whether on purpose or unintentionally. Uh, It's a song that acknowledges that she's broken and sinful and prone to to the shortcomings of human nature. And it's got some depth to it. But a real irony in just kind of how the album was built is that it's sandwiched between Michael W. Smith and Martin Smith of Delirious, both singing pop love songs about Jesus. Um, it's out of place. It lacks continuity. But for an album where VeggieTales is the lead-in to Nicole Norderman and Rich Mullins, any notion of thoughtfully curated storytelling just kind of went out the window. So... Um, and explaining best of compilations like these, it's like trying to describe a dream um, that you had. Like it may have felt significant at the time, but when you start to um, talk about what you thought was this awesome experience, you suddenly realize that it doesn't quite make as much sense now that you're awake. The high points of your dream are nothing more than non sequiturs and your science teacher and dentist joining you for dinner. Um, <laughs> When we're in a deep sleep state, we accept so much reality that really just isn't. And Isaiah 52 reads, wake up, wake up, clothe yourselves with, clothe yourself with strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful clothes, O Jerusalem, holy city. For uncircumcised and unclean pagans will no longer invade you. Shake off the dirt, get up, captive Jerusalem. Take off the iron chains around your neck. 
O captive daughter Zion. For this is what the Lord says. You were sold for nothing and you will, re be redeemed, you will not be redeemed for money. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. In the beginning, my people went to, cap went to live temporarily in Egypt. Assyria oppressed them for no good. For no reason. And no good. <laughs> and now what do we have here, says the Lord? Indeed, my people have been carried away from nothing. Those who rule over them taunt, says the Lord, and my name is constantly slandered all day long. For this reason, my people will know my name. For this reason, they will know that at that time, I am the one who says, here I am. How delightful it is to see approaching over the mountains the feet of a messenger who announces peace, a messenger who brings good news, who announces deliverance, who says to Zion, your God reigns. As people, though, our inclination is to sleep especially when we're faced with adversity. The less that things make sense, the fewer things we question, and the less we remain awake to the misplaced truths and disjointed realities around us. We accept a compilation of greatest hits in place of honest, authentic narrative. And like the Israel Isaiah is speaking to, we accept injustice and suffering as our best version of reality. As one of Laura's seminary friends puts it, we have the best life can offer through Jesus and we bind him to oppression and restraint that we call freedom. We need to wake up. Stepping into authentic narrative means dealing with the world as it is. But before we can get there, we need to deal with ourselves as we are. Not like a best of compilation where we put our greatest hits out on social media and push everything else to the background. Besides, songs like stories are so much better in context when you can see how the one part fits into the greater whole. Carefully curated album paints a more meaningful picture because it tells a much fuller story. Out of context on the WOW 1999 album, Jennifer Knapp's Undo Me was a decent song, but it was only part of a fuller story of her life. It was led in by a song called, on her album, Kansas, it was led in by a song called Whole Again, which asked God whether or not one could turn one's life around. And if there was a sacrifice large enough that might even make that a possibility. The song that followed Undo Me is called Trinity, which talks about standing securely in Christ's sacrifice in the midst of others who might see your conscience as being defiled. In context, these songs paint a richer narrative of someone learning to stand securely in Christ in the midst of pressure and judgment, of someone who sought reconciliation with loved ones she had pushed away. And in the context of her life, she had a much larger story to share. Real stories and context tell something meaningful. They tell something true. Grace, who are we in context? Where do we need to wake up? Where have we become complacent to things misplaced and out of context in our lives? Isaiah 54.2 reads, make your tent larger. Stretch your tent curtains farther out. Spare no effort, lengthen your ropes and pound the stakes deep. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your children will conquer nations and resettle desolate cities. Don't be afraid, for you will not be put to shame. Don't be intimidated, for you, not, you will not be humiliated. You will forget about the shame you experienced in your youth. You will no longer remember the disgrace of your abandonment. I'm not a fan of approaching scripture in a way that lets the story be about me or about us. Um, it's, an often, like, it's an easy and often self-serving trap that I think like historically I have fallen into and I think corporately in America we tend to fall into. 
Um, but what passages like this one, they, they do teach us something about God's character. That he doesn't forget his people. He knows our past. He knows our wounds, our worries for the future, and even our distrust of hope. And at Grace Church, we share a conviction that everyone deserves to belong. Full stop, no strings attached, no conditions, and no unspoken rules about who actually qualifies for leadership. This isn't a conviction that people always agree with. Widening the tents requires a laying aside of pet theologies. And when God compels Israel to widen their tents, he also encourages them not to be intimidated because they won't be humiliated like they had been before. Even further, he instructs them to spare no effort, implying that this widening of the tent will take a lot of effort. Grace, we are waking up to new things. I mean, you guys, Alex and Teresa were just talking about the new building. We're gonna be figuring this out. Um, God is calling us to widen our tent. And you will no longer remember the pain of abandonment. Reading through Isaiah in these chapters in particular, there's so much theology. Um, there's some good and some bad that has been written around it, uh, built around it. So many memories of sermons that I've heard growing up, um, some good and some bad. <laughs> and so much music written from snippets pulled from these chapters. All of this like stuff makes it hard to read because I'm, I'm distracted throughout the reading. Um, you know, we will go out with joy. Da, 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 da. I don't know. Anybody was a church kid in the eighties, yeah. um, but that was, or, yeah, that was that was my life. Um, good PK. So it's it's like I'm watching a movie. It's like reading this. It was like it's like watching the move, like watching a movie, but with a DVD commentary on, and you get all these explanations and things built on top of the actual story that you miss the actual story. Uh, it's everyone's opinions about the story, describing like how the story came to be, the process, like. You know, the actors, the different players, background. Um, I can't pay attention to it because it's impossible to get through the, all of the overgrowth. Yeah, and some examples of some of these, you know, standalone verses we can use from this is uh, from, this, from Isaiah 55 in particular. Is as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I don't know if we've, we've seen that on a, a coaster or something somewhere. Mm -hmm. You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth before you. There will be shouts of joy and all the trees of the field will clap their, clap their hands. We, I'm, I'm going to spare you all um, the rest of the song. So in our teaching team meeting on Tuesday, John mentioned that like also built into this or built around it really is all the Romans road stuff. It's rooted in this passage. Um, Laura questioned how many contemporary worship songs would go missing if we weren't allowed to refer to this passage. Uh, the answer is quite a lot. Um, too often we embrace the WOW 1999 version of scripture and disregard the context. Hmm. We might look through, the, through books like Isaiah and find the nugget that sends us on our merry way for the day only to return back the next day uh, to dig for more. Kind of like we mine the Bible for Bitcoin, but it's a waste of energy. Amen. Good, good analogy. Good analogy. It's kind of irrelevant. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. You're so cool. In Isaiah 54, 13, we read, all your children will be followers of the Lord and your children will enjoy great prosperity. Snippets like these might give us encouragement, but they fail to provide us with a fuller story that helps us grow in understanding 
and that provides the basis for real relationship with God and those around us. It's like it becomes this bumper sticker theology and fortune cookie praxeology. The Bible isn't about us, it's for us. But it doesn't belong to us. We're not central to its story, we're the beneficiaries. Isaiah isn't about us either. It's about the people of Israel, their captivity, deliverance, and hope for the future. And in this part of Isaiah, chapters 51 through 55, we see a lot that's also about Jesus, even though it was written almost 600 years before he was born. Starting in Isaiah 52, 13, we read, look, my servant will succeed. He will be elevated, lifted high, and greatly exalted, just as many were horrified by the sight of you. He was so disfigured, he no longer looked like a man. His form was so marred, he no longer looked human. So now he will startle many nations. Kings will be shocked by his exaltation, for they will witness something unannounced to them, and they will understand something they had not heard about. He had no stately form or majesty that might catch our attention, no special appearance that we should want to follow him. He was despised and rejected by people, one who experienced pain and was acquainted with illness. People hid their face from him. He was despised and we considered him insignificant. But he lifted up our illnesses. He carried our pain. Even though we thought he was being punished, even though we thought he was being punished, attacked by God and afflicted for something he had done. But he was wounded because of our rebellious deeds, crushed because of our sins. He endured punishment that made us well. Because of his wounds, we have been healed. This passage is talking about Jesus, about the hope of a Messiah who would come and set right the things that had gone wrong for them. Someone who understood their pain and would bring it to an end. But it also says that he would be unremarkable and that we would miss him. They would miss him. Leo Tolstoy writes this short story and there are a few iterations of it that you may have heard. Uh, it's called Where Love Is, God Is. It's about a shoemaker named Martin um, Abadeh, um, who lives in a basement apartment. And he looks out at people's feet all day as they walk on the street outside. After losing his wife and children, he rejected God. But somebody came along and gave him a New Testament and begrudgingly he picked it up. He read it over like on holidays and then more and more. He really started getting into it and read it every day. One night, Martin had a dream where God tells him that he's going to visit him the next day. All day long, he anticipates this visit. He sees a neighbor shoveling snow outside, so he invited him, invited him in for a warm drink. They talked about God and the Bible and what, what God was doing in Martin's heart and how excited he was to meet him. And um, his friend or his neighbor left with a full heart that day. Later on, there was a woman outside with her baby and the baby was shivering with cold. He invited them in and gave them both food and warmer clothes that had belonged to his kids and his wife as he excitedly shared about Jesus. After that, he saw a boy stealing an apple from a woman outside. So he helped, he went out and helped settle the argument and showed them both kindness. But Jesus never came to him. It wasn't until late that night that Martin realized Jesus had come to visit him. And in showing hospitality, hospitality to these people who needed help, who was welcoming God himself into his home. Tolstoy's story ends with this like, aha, of course, moment. And it's something that can only be understood in hindsight, that 
late, like at the end of the story, he closes it with Martin's eyes falling on Matthew 25, 35, where he reads, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. It's harder to see God move in an unexpected way when we're not looking for him in the right places. Even though their acceptance and ultimate rejection of God's servant Jesus was foretold to Israel 600 years prior, the people had built so much around their hope for the Messiah that when he finally came, they were looking for someone else and didn't even recognize him. There was, a nothing, there was nothing about him that would catch their attention. Instead, he was despised and rejected and killed alongside criminals. This was written in scripture and God's people still missed it. Jesus was right there and they missed him. It's a question, where is he for us that we might be missing him? And if we're not careful, we, just like the shoemaker in Tolstoy's story, can do the same. When I was in high school, um, I didn't really plan going on going to college, which frustrated a lot of my teachers because I was a straight A student. My, um, my calling in life was to go into missions. And as everyone knows, you don't need to go to college for that. Um, so I thought I just wanted to get out and get going. Um, that's what I told myself. But uh, I also had this inkling, you know, I fully, more than inkling, I fully believed that eventually, you know, I would serve the Lord so well that I would become a martyr in central China uh, for sharing the gospel. Kind of glad that never, actually, I'm very much glad that never came out. <laughs> let's be honest. So are we. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't know. I was fair. Yeah. <laughs> but um, while training for the mission field, after high school, I, I, um, I spent 10 weeks in Bamako, and six nights out of the week, my, my team and I, we did open air evangelism, like across the whole metro area. It's, Bamako's a capital of Mali in West Africa. And um, we worked with local churches, but yeah, six nights out of the week, it was super tiring. Um, one night, like in particular, after we were done and we were supposed to go home, one of the churches, the church that we were working with that, that week decided to do a second altar call. And I was like, come on. <laughs> um, they invited, and they invited people to come up for healing. Not, this one wasn't salvation. They had done two for salvation already, already. Um, you know, just in case there were stragglers, but um, then they did one for healing. I was like, great. I just like, I wasn't thrilled. I wanted to go back to our house. Uh, we had to be up early the next morning and it was already past 11 o'clock and it was just like pitch black outside. We had some floodlights and so it was like dark black sky and dust. And uh, yeah, I was also gross because I've been outside all day. Um, and our house was also almost two, mi uh, two hours away. So we'd be packed into a van, like scrunched up, and we dropped everybody off who went to the church before we went back to our house. So it was going to be rough. Um, so I was just like, okay, great, fine. So I was just kind of standing back. And then these two guys from the church, they said, uh, they asked me to help, help them pray for this kid uh, who was blind. So 19-year-old me, of course, I was super irritated and put out um, that we had to do another altar call, altar call um, because I was spent. I was kind of focusing, I was very much focusing on myself. Um, and like the only prayer I could squeeze out was this, God, just heal this kid. Just kind of like, whatever, I want to go home. Um, it, to say it lacked harder conviction was a, uh, an understatement. 
So the kid got healed, we packed up our stuff, and we went back to the house and completely crashed. And three days later, I was just, we're talking as a team about that night. I started remembering like, wait, the kid got healed. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, when we make it about us, when we hold up an idea of what Jesus is supposed to be, supposed to look like, how he's supposed to operate, and he doesn't end up meeting those expectations, we fully miss him. We've built so much around the idea of Jesus that we miss him when we see him in the flesh. So Grace, what is it that we need to wake up to? What are we missing that might be right in front of us? And just like the Newsboys song on the Wow 1999 album, we might just be entertaining angels. Um, <laughs> or even God himself. So we have the folks who are helping with communion come on up. But building a wider tent makes more room to welcome Jesus. Even if we think that we might miss him or, because it really comes down to a blind spot, right? Like we know we have blind spots, but we don't necessarily know what they are. But one of the best ways to get around this, like missing Jesus when we see him, missing out on being hospitable is to build a wider tent, to push ourselves as hard as we can, to build a space physical or not, that welcomes people in, where they know they belong first. Yes. This is why we as a church believe belonging comes first. When we see and accept others for who they are without condition, that is how we welcome Jesus. It requires us to see beyond our own context. To wake up. So we're going to be passing out communion. And in this spirit of belonging, you're welcome to participate, engage uh, in this ritual. Um, welcome to participate as much as you're comfortable. And so, so also, it's been prepared safely. Our, our, our folks are, are wearing gloves. And um, they're going to be handing the, the bread out to you. So when they come, come to you, just put out your hands. Um, they'll place the bread in there, and then you can grab your own cup. And because of the way we're doing it, we're outside, spread out. Um, when you receive the, I, I don't like saying elements, the accoutrement. Um, <laughs> like when you receive the, we'll talk about it later. Yeah, I think I feel you. Just go ahead and, and receive them. Go ahead and like eat the bread, take the cup. So we can just start in. Um, yeah, so. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. He passed it around and said, this is my body. Take and eat it in remembrance of me. Then he passed the cup saying, this is the blood of my covenant. Take, drink it. And as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Father God, help us see you as we engage with one another in our community and in the spaces of our day. Like the symbol of communion, reveal to us who you are through the people and interactions that point us to you. Mm -hmm. And as a church, as we wake up to new things, please show us where we belong and where we fit in to the fuller story that you have for us. Amen. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org.
grace and peace.